I am so excited to have you guys here today at Victory Point Church. My name is Pat, and for those of you that are new, my name is Pastor Mia. I am the children's pastor and the worship leader, and that striking gentleman with a very beautiful beard is Pastor Sean, who's the lead pastor of the church. Know that before you guys came today, we prayed for you because we love you. Hello? Feedback. Anyways, but if you guys are new, in front of you are going to be connection cards. Question mark. I don't know if we put me out or not. We did. Okay. In front of your UV connection cards, we want to connect with you, whether that be through prayer or you guys will find very quickly that Pastor Sean and I are coffee addicts. <laughs> and we want to drink coffee with you because it makes an excuse to drink more coffee than we already drink. But get connected with us. We want to connect with you. Um, as we for announcements, I don't believe we have too terrible many unless Pastor Sean wanted to talk about certain ones. Yeah, I'll take care of them. Yeah. So if you are children, <laughs> raise your hand if you're children. Okay, children's Marilyn and Carol. <laughs> children's. Go downstairs to the kids' room and take a seat. If there's no more seats, actually, you know what? Sit Indian style. Don't you try to do that? Don't worry, or your phones. 
Don't worry about it. We are, we'll put them up on the screen for you. <coughs> but as I was, I was sitting here, and while well, we all know that I can't do anything normal. Um, okay, yeah, and Marilyn starts laughing. That's great. I, I, I was sitting here, I'm going to say, I'm going to do a normal Christmas message. And while, well, you know, normal is, norm, normal is relative, right? So, as I was reading through the Christmas story, and here, let's just, let's just read it, and then we'll, we'll get into it. All right, Luke chapter 2. All right, we're going to start in verse 8. It says this, it says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, that you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel, a multitude of the heavenly hosts, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the heights, and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. And turn with me to Matthew chapter 2, and starting in verse 9. It says, When they heard the king, this is talking of the Magi and King Herod. When they heard the king, they departed, and behold, the star, which they had seen in the east, went before them, till it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And, and when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to God, gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day, and God, I thank you for what you're doing here. God, I ask right now that as we dive into the word, God, that you would bless your word. God, and let me say nothing that is not from you. In your name I pray. Amen. So, the thing that struck me about both of these passages is that they are about one thing, worship. So, and it, just, it just struck me, in, in, in the Luke passage where it's talking about the shepherds, it's, it's called praise. The angels sing, the angels, the heavenly host praising God, saying, glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace and goodwill towards men. They praised that the Messiah was born. And then the wise men, or the magi, as some translations call them, says that they, they fell down and they worshipped him. And they laid precious gifts at his feet. So what is worship? 
We talk about it a lot. We, we, we call it our Sunday service. We call it our Sunday worship service. But what is worship? To a lot of us, to me, worship has been the music that we play and the songs that I sing. And I raise my hands and I clap. Or as, as, our, as our children demonstrated down here, I dance and I've preached on that many times. That in, our, in our, our worship expression with our music, but worship is so, as I found out this week, so much deeper than just the music that we sing. Worship is, by definition, okay? We all know I love my definitions. Worship is the expression of reverence and adoration of God. Okay, and what is adoration? Well, we're going to hold on to that one. We're going to talk about that one in a minute. Point number one. All right, we're diving in. Point number one, worship is expensive. True worship is expensive. Because you see, when they worshiped God in the Old Testament, they brought a lamb. They brought something that was precious to them. And something I read and I learned this week about lambs is that the shepherd would name them. So he would have his lamb named Marilyn, he would have his lamb named Carol, he would have his lamb named Dave, he would have his lamb named Carol. And he would say, all right, Marilyn, time to come in. And the lamb would just, and the lamb just walks up and story as a story reminder, he's like, is there something to this? So they would bring something precious. Can you imagine with me, if you will, that we all have had, we've all had a favorite pet in our life, right? Right? And that to cover your sin, you willingly took that to a temple and killed it. Worship is expensive. When they worshiped in the Old Testament, they brought something expensive and laid it down on the altar and killed it. When the New Testament believers wanted to worship God, they sold everything they had and laid it at the apostles' feet. Worship is expensive. You see, in the Old Testament, what they wore identified who they served. So they had to make special garments that they would wear. So that Walking down the street, everybody could identify them and say, that's an Israelite. They wore clothes that identified them as part of their worship. You see, the wise men, when they wanted to worship, they brought gold, frankincense, and myrrh, expensive gifts. Now, we're not told what the quantity is, and we don't really know what the price was. But they traveled. The wise men traveled. Some say that the wise men probably came from modern-day Iraq, modern-day Syria. And they traveled thousands of miles on camels without air conditioning or heat. Because let me tell you what, I've been in the Kuwaiti desert in December. It's cold. It is not it ain't warm. It is not warm. 
but they wanted to worship what they had seen, what God had revealed to them through the scriptures and through the stars. They wanted to worship God. They wanted to worship the Messiah. The woman in Luke chapter 7, starting in verse 36 to 50, tells the story of a woman who brought precious oil and broke that alabaster jar on the feet of Jesus. And they say that that oil was worth a year's wages. So, me being the nerd I am, said, what's the mean, the median, the average salary in the United States? $72,170 was the average salary for a four-person, for a four-person family, okay? That is, that is counting that mom and dad both work, okay? That was the average salary, was $72,000. So the question is, have you ever wanted to worship Jesus $72,000 back? Because to me, that's an astronomical number. If I, if I had $72,000, man, whoo, we'd have chairs in here already. But the point is, is that her worship was expensive. Her worship was extravagant. Her worship pushed the limits of what everybody else said about her. Because every, her worship pushed the limits of what everyone has done with her. You see, the shepherds celebrated the announcement that Christ was born. They, they represent our need to celebrate the presence of God when he walks into the room. Okay? Because the thing that struck me about both of these verses again was Jesus hasn't saved anybody yet. Jesus hasn't healed anybody yet. Jesus hasn't done anything but show up. Will you worship God when he just walks into the room? When we're still the circumstances in our lives are still swirling around us? When everything, does, everything doesn't have to be going right? Everything doesn't have to be lined up in perfect order, but will we still worship when he shows up? Will we still worship when we feel that, 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 that presence and we say, listen, God, God, I need you to show up in this circumstance, but I know that I'm going to have to wait a little bit. I might have to walk through this, but can we stay in our peace? Can we stay where God wants us to be? Will we worship at his word? Not at the fulfillment of his word, but will we worship when he says it? Will we worship when he says the child will be healed? Will we worship when he says let it be done? Whatever the miracle is, will we worship then? Will we worship him because of the price he paid for us? Or will we say it's too expensive? Will we worship, let's put it in, let's put it in real terms, will we worship when we 
When the people, when we're worried about the people in the church, well, they make fun of us. Because I've had that thought in my head. Not here. But I've had that thought in my head before. Or can we remember what God has done for us in the past? When we can say, I remember when I was walking down the street high out of my mind and somehow I made it home. And I walked out of the bar at 3 a.m. when it closed and put my keys in my car and didn't die on the way home. Can we remember that? And put that in our worship. The wise men <coughs> represent those that have had to seek out the king. All you've had is a word and a direction. But you just keep moving. You just keep searching until you find his presence. And there you lay down your most precious gift. And the presence of God. And you say that you may have been, you may have been saying, God, I don't see you in this circumstance. I don't see you moving. But you just keep putting one step in front of the other. You just keep saying, I'm going to get up, I'm going to read my Bible. I'm going to get up and I'm going to pray even though I don't feel him the way I used to feel him. But I'm going to get up and I'm going to do it. I'm just going to keep moving. I'm going to keep saying. I'm just going to keep moving. And I'm not going to stop until I feel the presence. I'm not going to stop until I'm in the presence of Jesus. Point number two. Worship is a lifestyle. A lot of us think, possibly, or may have thought, I have thought, like as I said earlier, that worship is just the music that we sing before the pastor gets up and before they take up the offering and before I get up and do whatever it is I do. But worship is a lifestyle. And any lifestyle Starts with an attitude. Okay? A person sets in their heart that they're going to do something and plans to get it done. That's what an attitude is. So when I say, hmm, Pastor Sean, I say, I look in the mirror in the morning and I say, Sean, this suit coat don't fit quite as well as it did six months ago. And I say, okay. I'm going to change my attitude about fitness. So I'm going to get up and I'm going to go work out. I'm not making a New Year's resolution. Please let me tell you now, this is not happening. This is a hypothetical scenario. But when we set an attitude in our lives, it changes everything about us. It changes everything that we do when we set an attitude. When we set an attitude of fitness, okay, so now I'm going to watch what I eat. I'm not going to have the cheeseburger and triple fries at lunch. Quit giving me that. Quit giving me that look, Harold. 
All right, I'm gonna have a salad instead. Okay, now yes, I know. quit giving me those looks. Please stop. Y'all, y'all, I'm getting glare, getting glares, getting glares from the choir section. Mm. Must be touching a nerve. Praise Jesus. But if I want, but if I were truly adamant about getting myself healthy, then I would change my attitude towards what I eat. And I would change my attitude towards my workout regimen. And I would change my attitude towards my sleep cycle. And I would change my attitude. Well, same thing when I want to work, when I want to live a lifestyle of worship. I have to have an attitude of worship. Okay? Now, the expression of the believer in worship is primarily designed with an attitude of remembrance. Let me say that again. The expression of the believer in worship is primarily designed with an attitude of remembrance. We remember what God has done and his faithfulness, which should stir us to have faith to believe him for everything that has been promised. So, when we say worship is more than music, let's talk about our money for a moment. Our money costs us something. Our money is precious because we have to have our money to survive. But can you remember a time when you had no money? Now you may, you may, that may be you now. But God provided. So why is it when God gives us an abundance of money, we say, oh, I can't give now. Because what's going to happen when I ain't got no money? And we don't remember the time that we had, that God we didn't have no money, and God still provided everything we needed. And I don't know if you're in my shoes. I live better when I don't have any money. But I'm looking at my bank account and saying, holy, how are we going to pay that guy? All right, you got to show up. I live better then than when I'm saying, all right, okay, we're going to pay that. Here we go. That's fine. Because God provides. But we've got to learn to take the attitude that we had when we had nothing and apply it when we've got everything. So when we still gave and we paid our tithes, when we had nothing and we still gave to the house of God and God provided now that we have it, or when we do have it, are we going to have the attitude that says, you know what, God took care of me way back there when I didn't have anything, so now I'm going to keep generously now that I've got something. And God's still going to provide, I'm still going to make the car payment, I'm still going to make the house payment, and I'm still going to eat, and I'm still going to survive. And it's not just survival, but I can bless somebody else. Who you can tell I'm getting excited because that southern accent's coming out. The expression of the believer in worship is primarily designed with an attitude of remembrance. We remember what God has done. And we see that all throughout the Old Testament. In their clothing, as I mentioned earlier, they had 
strings to remember where God had brought them from. They had strings. They had the way they wore their clothes told a story of what God had done for them. So, the lifestyle of the worshiping believer must contain the following elements. One, adoration. So, adoration. I said I was going to talk about this. The adoration, this is my definition. I, I took the definitions because they were a little funny and put them together, and this is what the definitions mean. Okay. Is the act of putting Christ in his proper place and giving him all honor that is due him. So, adoration in our lives and adoration towards Christ is putting him in the proper place. So, we got some scripture. I got lots of scripture, and I do have handouts for those of you that are taking notes um, on some of this stuff. This is an example. I've got three examples of adoration in the Bible. Isaiah 6, 2 through 3. Above it stood seraphim. Each one had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he flew, or with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another and said, this is the adoration, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. The holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Is this, and that is declaring the truth of the position that God has. When the angels say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts, the whole earth is full of his glory. They are declaring a truth. They are declaring that he is holy. And they are declaring that he is the Lord of hosts. And they are declaring that the whole earth is full of his glory. Now just because we don't see the whole earth full of his glory does not mean that it is not a truth. There is a difference between a fact and a truth. Fact says there are nine people in this room right now. A truth says that there might, I might look and see, those, see that there's nine people, but a truth says I'm preaching to the ten thousands that are going to come. That's the truth. The fact is, we're small now. The truth is, we will be large. Okay? That is the difference between a fact and a truth. So in our lives, we have to learn to declare the truth and not the fact. Okay? The fact is, our world is dying and going to hell. The truth is, we're agents here sent by God to declare the righteousness of God in Messina and the North Country and see this city and this region turn around for the glory of God. That is the truth. All right. I'm hurrying. I've got a lot. I've got five pages and I've only made it to page three. Glad this is a two-part sermon, right? <laughs> Deuteronomy 10, 12. It says this. It says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, 
and with all your soul. Now that's a fear. When we think of God, we don't always think of fear, do we? We've had this conversation before. The fear of God. What is the fear of God? The fear of God is that holy reverent awe. When we say, when the presence, the fear of God sweeps in a room, sweeps in our lives, and the fear says, I'm terrified to be a sinner. I don't want this anymore. The fear sweeps in and, and all the compromise in your life gets identified in the fear of God. And this is God speaking. What does the Lord your God ask of you? All I want is everything. It's what he's saying. All I want is everything of you. That's all I want. I want everything of you. I want your good stuff and that junk you try to hide. That junk that's sitting back here that you're trying to hide, that you're saying, maybe I can be good enough. Maybe I can do it good enough. Then God will love me. No, what he's saying is, I want all of it. I want your good stuff. I want your bad stuff. I want your parts that you think are good, and I want that nastiness. I want that, I want that stuff that's behind the kitchen stove that we haven't moved for 10 years. Can somebody talk about Come on, I'm preaching now. Somebody knows what I'm talking about. And in our lives, we have the same thing. We have that stuff that we try to hide, and we try to put our good clothes on, and we try to set up right, and then we go home and we still feel empty, and we still feel hopeless, and we still feel alone. But when the fear of God comes, we say, you know what? I don't care anymore. Pull all my junk out and invite the company over. Mm. Joshua 22.5. This is Joshua talking. No, I'm sorry, this is God talking. It says, but take careful heed to do the commandment and the law. This is God talking to Joshua. Take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you. To love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways. How many? Not just some of them. Not the ones that are convenient to walk in. Not just the prosperity, because mm, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Adoration is making sure that God has the proper place in your I'm going to move quickly through this next. Because a part of worship we don't like to talk about. A part of serving God that nobody wants to talk about because it's hard. The sacrifice. Or radical obedience to God alone. Not to a man, not to a church, not to a preacher. But to God. 
And Christ told us that our lives would have sacrifice. Mark chapter 10, verse 21 says this. It says, Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, give it to the poor, and then, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, take up the cross, and follow me. Come, take up your cross, and follow me. Hebrews 10. For you sympathized with the prisoners, and accepted with joy the confiscation of your possessions. And joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. So in the New Testament church, when they said they were going to believe in Christ, it could cost them their life. So what would happen is the Roman soldiers or Paul would come in, you take everything you own. Said, so do you believe in Jesus Christ? And you'd say, Yeah, I believe in Jesus Christ. And they would say, Fine. Throw them in jail. Take everything they own. Take it all. And the writer of Hebrews says this, it says, he commends them because they accepted with joy. They were happy at peace. Because all their stuff comes to them. Would we do the same? Luke chapter 9, verse 24, it says this. It says, For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. It's a part of worship we don't like talking about. But it is nonetheless a part of worship. It is a part of the Christian life. That things are not always going to go our way. But the one thing we have control over is how we react to what's going on around us. I'm going to, and I'm, I'm closing with this. In our lives, and I've told, I've told a few of you this, I think. I imagine my life as a hurricane. And I'm viewing, and everybody's seen a hurricane on the satellite maps, right? And in the center of that hurricane is called the eye. And the same thing with a tornado. There's an eye. And in the eye, there's peace and no destruction. That's how I view my life and my walk with God. Is that I'm standing in the eye. And around me, there's death and destruction 
But where are you? There's peace and contentment. As long as I don't get stubborn and say, this is my spot and I'm not moving. Because when we do that, then the storm keeps moving. My peace leaves because I've dug my heels in and I know more. You can't make me. God says, fine. You're right, I can't. But I can allow all of this bad stuff to push you back to where you need to be. We see it in the story of Job. Bad things happen. Where did Job stay? Job stayed right there in the center. He said, I'm not going. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to mess with it. As long as we keep moving. As long as we keep moving forward in our lives. I've got a whole lot That's okay. I got a whole other year. Church, I'm going to leave you with this thought. And we're going to go into this a little bit deeper next week. But Thanksgiving, giving thanks or gratitude for what God's done in our lives is our primary mode of worship. Thanksgiving is how. The New Testament believers said, this is just stuff. And this, this, this stuff doesn't compare. This is how they walked in there. So the question this morning, with every head bowed and every eye closed, is do you know him?